according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. As I mentioned a moment ago, we are in Jeremiah. We are in Jeremiah chapter 39, an event that has been a long time coming, the fall of Jerusalem. We, uh, a couple years ago now, uh, I became convicted that the prophetic messages from Isaiah and Jeremiah were going to be crucial for us uh, because we are living in uncertain times. We're living politically in a day and age in which it seems that uh, there's a division of thought and different opinions. And uh, some people have no hope whatsoever and others have hope, but it's the wrong hope in the wrong thing. And it seemed like the message from Isaiah was going to be a great comfort and encouragement. And the message from Jeremiah was going to be perhaps a bit depressing, but necessary in uh, in that Isaiah gives a message that a good king, Hezekiah, responds to and uh, repents and and the nation is preserved for another 150 years. Uh, Jeremiah delivers a message really not that different from Isaiah's message, but the response is is negative. And a king Zedekiah rejected the word of God, kept imprisoning the prophet, and, and uh, as such, the, the nation uh, was, was captured. Jerusalem falls, uh, the people are enslaved, taken away to Babylon for their 70 years of, of captivity. And so these books back-to-back, I think, are, are powerful and uh, are a blessing for us. And uh, we finished Isaiah, we did 66 weeks, uh, 66 chapters, one chapter per Sunday, and now here we are doing the same thing with Jeremiah. And this is now our 39th week in Jeremiah. And uh, we finally arrive at the capture of the city. Before we get started, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer and ask the Father to set aside our distractions and to humble us under the authority of his truth. Shall we pray? Father, we do come before you this morning thankful for your truth and rejoicing in the blessing that we have to assemble together. We're thankful for the message of Jeremiah and for the uh, positive encouragement that comes from the uh, future promises of glory and peace. And even from the sad passages, Father, of death and destruction, there is even then reminders of how faithful you are and how your hand of protection is upon us and how you do rescue your children. And Father, we thank you for this chapter, the rescue of Jeremiah, the rescue of the Ethiopian eunuch, and uh, the blessings that we have to, uh, to study these things here today. Father, we call upon your faithfulness to set aside distractions, uh, to hedge us about, to protect us, and to teach us the truth of your word. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, after 41 years of preaching about it, Jeremiah observes the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians. And we finally come to it here in chapter 39. This is the first of two uh, detailed descriptions of this. Much of what we study today will be repeated in week 52. The fall of Jerusalem is recounted twice in the written record that Jeremiah has left us with. But uh, so this morning will be the first of those uh, accounts that we read. So let's look at the early verses of the chapter here. When Jerusalem was captured in the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, in the ninth day of the month, the city wall was breached. Then all the officials of the king of Babylon came in and sat down at the middle gate. 
And <clears throat> now we get the tough names to read. Nurgle Sarizer. And, and actually, we're going to read it first from the NASB, and then as I teach it, I'm going to reread the names because I think we have a problem here with the names. Uh, but Nurgle Sarizer, Samgar Nibu, Sarsakim the Rabsaris, Nurgle Sarizer, a different Nurgle Sarizer, the Rab Mag, and all the rest of the officials of the king of Babylon. And uh, depending on what English translation you're reading, you have three names there, four names, five, or possibly six. If you're reading an old King James, you've got six names there. And I believe there are three, and uh, I will outline them for you in the uh, points of study. In any event, these are the Babylonian political hotshots that are going to uh, rule over the conquest. And they're going to have this enslaving function for those that are to be enslaved and the execution function for those that are to be executed. So when Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and all the men of war saw them, they fled and went out of the city at night by way of the king's garden through the gate between the two walls. And he went out toward the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And they seized him and brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, at Riblah, considerably further north of here, Riblah, in the land of Hamath. And he passed sentence on him. Then the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes at Riblah. The king of Babylon also slew all the nobles of Judah. Uh, then he blinded Zedekiah's eyes and bound him in fetters of bronze to bring him to uh, Babylon. I'll go down through verse 10 before we break. Uh, verse 8 says, The Chaldeans also burned with fire the king's palace and the houses of the people, and they broke down the walls of Jerusalem. As for the rest of the people who were left in the city, the deserters who had gone over to him, and the rest of the people who remained, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, carried them into exile in Babylon. But some of the poorest people who had nothing Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, left behind in the land of Judah and gave them vineyards and fields at that time. All right, so here's ten verses that, that detail the fall of Jerusalem. The timeline is useful for us, again, just to fix our bearings. And uh, to do that, I think I have a zoom function, but it didn't work well last hour. Zoom. Here we go. All right, so um, this is a timeline from 730 to, I think, 630 B.C. or, or later. But um, just pinpointing here, when Josiah becomes king, remember, he was the last good king. It was kind of like the last hurrah, we might think of it as. Or really, from Manasseh onward, from Manasseh onward, um, the, the wickedness of that reign doomed Jerusalem. Jerusalem was going to fall uh, as a consequence of Manasseh. There was no turning back, except one short reprieve was given in one king's reign, and that's the reign of good king Josiah, the last good king of the northern kingdom. The others that followed Josiah were all wicked, and even Josiah couldn't stop the captivity. All he could do was defer it for a generation. He could defer it for that period of time. These are things that we want to keep in mind when we consider our own nation and uh, the course of our nation's history and when will we be destroyed and what, uh, do we have a reprieve? Do we have a delay in, uh, in certain ways? Questions that uh, 
will answer themselves as God makes his will known. But the call of Jeremiah in 627 B.C. is how we date this. And we date this in the the 13th year of good King Josiah uh, at 640. And so these are kind of the ballpark figures that we're using. A lot of it's estimation when anytime you're older than 586 B.C. Um, But we start to get more precision as 586 approaches. And that's uh, what you're going to see here on this diagram. So from 627 is when he begins preaching. And, of course, the city falls in, uh, in 586. And so this is uh, what we're looking at here. All right. Escape out of that. Click off of that. And we're back. Now, um, the siege of Jerusalem lasted from the 10th month of Zedekiah's ninth year until the fourth month of Zedekiah's 11th year. And I'm not going to take a ton of time on this because it's Communion Sunday and we're always short on time. But um, that is not as simple as you might think. Right. You might just think, well, hey, there's two months left of year nine and uh, plus, of course, 12 months for year 10 and then four more months in year 11 and simple. All right. How Gregorian calendar of you. <laughs> All right. That uh, that's how we might approach it if we were thinking of it in our modern times and how we count things with our modern Gregorian calendar. Um, but it's not so straightforward in the ancient world, and it's not so straightforward in different calendars that are used sometimes simultaneously, as is the case for the Hebrews, where they had a civil calendar and they had a religious calendar. And they had one new year in the fall, and they had a different new year in the spring. And how they counted their months and how they counted their years was not always consistent. The Jewish method was different from the Babylonian method as well. So if Daniel's writing from the Babylonian perspective, he'll talk about the fourth year of a reign or the third year of a reign. But if if Jeremiah's writing from the Jewish perspective, he'll talk about the fourth year of a king's reign. And they're talking about the same year, but they're using different calendars. And so uh, those kind of discrepancies are uh, useful to study if you're really going to tear into the into the depths of things beyond, of course, what we're doing here today. I will read just one commentary snippet for you. And uh, explain why it's longer than we think it is. It's about 30 months altogether. Uh, the siege began on January 15, 588 B.C. and lasted until the ninth day of the fourth month of Zedekiah's 11th year. Using a Western method for reckoning the dates, this would seem to give a siege of approximately 19 months. You know, the last three months of the ninth year, 12 months of the 10th year, and four months of the 11th year. However, using the method for reckoning dates employed by the Hebrews, right? We've got to use their calendar. It's what they used when this was written. The uh, length of the siege was much longer because Hebrew kings calculated the years of their reign on the Tishri to Tishri calendar. That was the calendar. They didn't mark 2017 A.D. They marked the first year of King Zedekiah, the second year of King Zedekiah, the third year of King Zedekiah. And and you you might recall that uh, the the distinction between an ascension year and the first year. See, if, you're, if you became king during a year, that wasn't your first year. That was your ascension year. The year after that became your first year, your first full year, you understand. And so um, there's, a, there's the reckoning there. See, I became pastor in November of 1995. But do I count 1995 as my first year? Well, not really. It was barely a month and a half. See, 1996 was really my first year, my first full year. See, so I use an ascension year uh, rating system, calendar system on that. However, um, but now when the months of the year are spelled out, when the months of the year are spelled out, so if we're going to talk about his fourth year, his fifth year, his ninth year, then we're talking about the Tishri to Tishri calendar. But any time you're talking about the months, the first month, second month, third month, tenth month, whatever, 
Anytime those months are delineated, you're using the religious calendar. You're using the, uh, the Nisan to Nisan calendar, all right? In which Passover is in the first month and, and these other feasts come in the seventh month and, and things there. So um, while the months of a year are calculated on the Nisan to Nisan calendar. So uh, Zedekiah's 11th year extended from October 18th, 587 to October 6th, 586. Uh, the fourth month from Nisan that coincided with his 11th year began on July 10th, 586. The uh, ninth day of that month was July 18th, 586. Therefore, the entire siege lasted just over 30 months, from January 588 to uh, July of 586 B.C. All right? And if you want more on that, I can give you plenty more. Uh, Thiel is a good author on that, on the mysterious numbers of the Hebrew kings. And uh, there are scholars that have spent their lifetime studying calendars and, and giving their lives over to uh, this particular study. Finally, if you are curious as to the months and what they are, um, they had different names for them before the captivity. When they came back from Babylon, they gave the, the Babylonian names to uh, all of their months. Uh, but Tishri there uh, are September, October, uh, beginning their civil year. Uh, and then some of these are kind of unknown to us. Chislev we know because of Hanukkah, and it comes up uh, in modern times related to that. Uh, Tabeth, Shabbat, Adar, Nisan in the spring, we're familiar with because of Passover centers in Nisan, which is the first month, by the way, on the on the religious calendar on the on that. Um, Tammuz is not important to the Jews, but it was important to uh, the Queen of Heaven worship and all of the idolatry to the Queen of Heaven. Tammuz was a huge month on that. Ab and uh, Tishba Av, when the, we celebrate or when they commemorate in sorrow the fall of Jerusalem, is uh, what we're going to look at here this morning. So those are the months there. You got the feasts and the festivals, rainy season, dry season, the early rains, the late rains. It's a pretty good, um, pretty good chart. If you want a copy of that, just shoot me an email. I can send that to you. The different uh, plowing, planting, and harvesting. The different types of harvest. You know, if, if figs aren't even in season until the fall, why was Jesus cursing that fig tree in March? Okay, good question to ask. Maybe on a Wednesday night, someone will think of that. All right, so as we look at it here, notice though, we, uh, it's not the only place in the Bible this shows up. It's kind of like the crucifixion. You know, all four Gospels cover it. Um, there are certain events, the feeding of the 5,000. There's certain events that all four Gospels cover, big events in the life of Christ. Um, the resurrection, you know, every gospel account is going to talk about the resurrection. Likewise, in the Old Testament, the biggest deals of the Old Testament are the exodus and the captivity, the destruction of Jerusalem. And they're going to be recounted in more, more passages, more prophets, more books of the Bible. We're going to talk about it. So everything we're studying today in Jeremiah 39, you realize that 2 Kings chapter 25 is a parallel account. And, and you're going to want to consider the details in that chapter alongside of the details of this chapter, as well as Second Chronicles chapter 36. And it's a shorter section there. It's only verses 17 through 21. But in Chronicles, you have a perspective that comes from the priesthood, that comes from the, the Levites in the temple. Uh, Chronicles is, is very much of a, of a Levitical flavor to it uh, as, as a parallel account in tandem with First uh, and Second Kings. And then, of course, Jeremiah 39 and Jeremiah 52 at the end of the book. Uh, this, this story gets told a second time. There's a second version, a second recounting. And the details aren't greatly different. There will be 
some slight adjustments on some of the details as far as Jeremiah. Was he captured once or was he captured twice? And why are the details somewhat different between what you're going to learn today and what we'll talk about next week in chapter 40? And those, uh, those kind of things get, uh, get harmonized as well. All right. And I think for this morning's purposes, given that it is a short Sunday, um, let's just grab Second Chronicles because that's a short parallel. Plus, I feel we, we don't turn to Chronicles often enough, right? Thank goodness, where is Chronicles? First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, okay? If you get to Ezra and Nehemiah, you've gone too far. It's before Job and Psalms. Second Chronicles, chapter 36. And verses 17 through 21. And you'll note even backing up slightly before this, to verse 11, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. He reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke for the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him swear allegiance by God. But he stiffened his neck. You know, it's interesting. Why did Jeremiah hold him to that vow by God? See... And you start to realize, if you study the book of Daniel, that Daniel has an influence in, in Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar gets saved, if you can imagine. So in this story here, who's the believer? Not, it's not Zedekiah. And so made him swear allegiance by God, but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart, turning to the Lord God of Israel. Uh, furthermore, all the officials of the priests and the people were very unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they defiled the house of the Lord, which he had sanctified in Jerusalem. You know, if Christians in a church are just as worldly as the rest of Austin, why are we here? What are we doing? So the Lord God of their father sent word to them again and again by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his word, scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, and there was no remedy. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who slew their young men with a sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or infirm. He gave them all into his hand. And all the articles of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his officers, he brought them to all to Babylon. Now, keep in mind, this didn't happen overnight. There's a span of time. A month goes by, two months goes by as this plundering is, uh, is executed. And we see that as we turn to these parallel accounts. Uh, so here's where uh, the temple articles are plundered. And by the way, there's no mention of the ark, by the way. The ark disappears. And uh, Indiana Jones finds it years later, we know. But um, it disappears here. And then um, we never see it again. Never again in the scriptures except for a heavenly vision. All right. And those who had escaped from the sword were carried away to Babylon. They were servants to him, to his sons, until the rule of the kingdom of, the, of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of his desolation, it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. And then uh, Cyrus will be the Persian king that allows them to return to the land. So this Old Testament history is vital in understanding Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Understanding the, the sequence of those Gentile empires is huge. It's important for, for any of your Old Testament prophetic studies. And we want to be clear on these things. 
Um, and so there's the account there. In 2 Kings, it's not quite from the Levitical pers- perspective. It's more from a p- uh, political perspective and uh, agrees very much with what we have already seen in Jeremiah 39. The Babylonian command staff is identified. Three men with titles rather than four to six different men. And some of this is confusion over the fact that these aren't Hebrew names. And even in the Hebrew uh, text, as they're transliterating Babylonian officials, uh, there was confusion. Uh, Even the Septuagint struggled to try to put this into Greek because the Septuagint translators were were not clear on uh, these Babylonian expressions. I believe uh, Nurgle Sharizer, the first Nurgle Sharizer that's mentioned here, needs to have the Samgar attached to his name instead of this uh, so-called Shamgar Nebo that you have in there. So if you want to rewrite this for yourself here in verse 3, instead of Nurgle Sarizer with no description, it's Nurgle Sarizer of Samgar. And it shows the, the region, the region within Babylonia where this Nurgle Sarizer appears or, or came from, where he was from. And we know him historically too, by the way. He will eventually become king himself in, in Babylon. He himself uh, is the second king after Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, and then this guy becomes king when he murders Nebuchadnezzar's son. And uh, that, yeah, lots of fun. And uh, we think our transitions, no, our transitions are easy. All right, they were involved with assassinations and murders and all kinds of other things. So we start with Nurgle Sarizer of Samgar. Then we have Nebo Sarsakim. So the Nebo that doesn't belong to the other name belongs to Sarsakim the Rapsurus. This is Nebo Sarsakim the Rapsurus. And uh, interestingly enough, once we put the comma where it belongs and we, we connect the right names with each other this way, lo and behold, this is a name that has been found uh, in archaeology. This is a name that has been found on a seal uh, that, that was written uh, to record Nebuchadnezzar's conquest of Jerusalem. By the way, uh, I do believe that this guy is the same guy that's mentioned with a different name spelling of Nebuchadnezzar in uh, verse 13. We haven't gotten there yet, but we'll see him shortly in this chapter. Uh, they're both called the Rabsaris, and I believe it's the same guy with, with two different names. Nebuchadnezzar versus uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And then the third guy is another Nurgle Sharizer. Uh, but this Nurgle Sharizer is the Rab Mag. He is the, um, I think, Rabbi Magi, if that helps, <laughs> right? The Magi who came from the East, the wise men, um, the astronomers and all the, the wise men of wisdom of Babylon were the Magi. And, and so think of uh, the teacher of those guys, okay? Somebody who was also likely saved if, in fact, Daniel had the impact uh, among his peers that I think he had. And uh, they're mentioned here in conjunction with God's justice. So, um, but don't, you know, don't blame your Bible. All the Bibles are struggling with the different translations in that. New American Standard, NIV. NIV actually does pretty well with this. New King James, um, Holman, they've got their struggles too. The Old King James um, was probably the worst of all of them. But NIV, surprisingly, had the best at handling these three names. One of Glenn Carnegie's friends uh, in the archaeology world was uh, a fellow here named Bryant Wood. And uh, he wrote an article in, in just 2007 
in the Bobble and Spade Archaeological Journal uh, with the exciting findings of the name of, uh, of uh, Nebo Sarsican. And uh, because they found this tablet here in, in Babylon. And uh, I won't read the article for you, but there's a, a spiffy photo, okay, that you can hold in your hand like this, right, with some tiny little wedge shaped cuneiform writing on it. Can you imagine? The thing would drive me, I'd be blind, you know, two weeks into studying this thing. And there are people that spend their lifetime reading and studying and deciphering and cataloging and transcribing uh, pottery shards and, and uh, fragments like this and examples out there in the foyer, by the way, from Glenn Carnegie's collection. But here's a tablet mentioning Nebo Sarsakim, which was found in Sippur, an ancient Babylonian city uh, 20 miles southwest of modern Baghdad. And uh, in the late 19th century, tens of thousands of cuneiform tablets were recovered from the site and brought to the British Museum. And how long has it taken them to read all of these tens of thousands of tablets? Say, they're still doing it today. Later in 1920, the Nebo Sarsakim tablet, only 2.13 inches wide from the same site, was acquired by the museum. And uh, since 1991, this Michael Jursa guy here has been um, deciphering them. Not all of them are as legible. This one's pretty legible. Uh, sifting through the approximately 130,000 inscribed tablets in the British Museum to ferret out data on Babylonian officials. On July 5th, 2007... Where were you that day, right? And we're talking modern times here. Um, he found this. Calls it the find of a lifetime. Discovered the biblical name of, of uh, Nurgle Sarsifar, uh, this guy. Um, Nebo Sarsakim. The tablet is so well preserved that it took him only minutes to decipher. It was a mundane receipt, right? Isn't that great? My wife keeps receipts. And, and, and there's a reason why. You keep those receipts, so the museum, 200 years from now, can go through them. But it's a receipt, Nebo Sarsakim's payment of 1.7 pounds of gold to the temple in Babylon, dated to the 10th year of Nebuchadnezzar, we would say 595 B.C., eight years before the fall of Jerusalem. And uh, the tablet reads in full and mentions a bunch of other names. Um, anyway, it's a, it's a useful article, and I thought I would share that with you. Just kind of neat to see, to see the photograph and there it is. And there's this Nebo Sarsakin guy. Nebo Sarsakin, the Rab Saris. Rab Saris, by the way, um, Rab is teacher of or chief of, the greatest of. Um, and the Saris uh, were the, the eunuchs, the officials. Many of them were castrated eunuchs that were assigned different uh, responsibility with harems and with government offices and, and things of that nature. Daniel, by the way, will minister to the Rabsaris several times in the early chapters there of the book of Daniel. Zedekiah and his personal guard fled through a hidden gate, but they didn't get far. They didn't get far. And I think it's kind of fun because while they thought they were sneaking away, you know, do you ever try to do something and nobody notices? And they think they're being so sneaky. And I, I'm... I can't prove this, but my suspicion is the gate between the walls was a secret exit. The gate between the walls was an old gate that they decided to, to move. Uh, but instead of totally removing the gate, they left the gate there in between two walls. And so the old gate was still in place, even though these other walls were built to, to hide it. And, 
in, in that. And then it happens. Occasionally a city decides they want their gates in different places uh, for different entrance to the city. And so perhaps in the king's garden they said, we don't want that gate there anymore. Let's make that a wall. But instead of making it a wall, they kept the old gate there in between the two walls and provided for a secret exit out. And I can't prove that, but that's my imagination. And why do I imagine it that? Why do I think it this way? Because while this was happening, sneaky Zedekiah wasn't so sneaky. Ezekiel, thousands of miles away, already in Babylon, the prophet Ezekiel saw it happen. And the prophet Ezekiel watched it. Better than Fox News, right? Better than satellite TV coverage. The prophet Ezekiel saw it happen. And he described it in Ezekiel chapter 12. And uh, described it as digging through the wall. Ezekiel chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Um, And there's some other things that leads up to this, but uh, where Yahweh is talking to Ezekiel and calling him the son of man. But uh, here's a say, I am assigned to you, verse 11, as I have done, so it will be done to them. They will go into exile into captivity. And then these key verses, 12 and 13, the prince who is among them. I remember Zedekiah was just an appointed king. He's not in the line of Christ. He's, he's the king that they made king for the fall while Jehoiakim was already in captivity. The prince who is among them will load his baggage on his shoulder in the dark and go out. They will dig a hole through the wall to bring it out. He will cover his face so that he cannot see the land with his eyes. I will also spread my net over him and he will be caught in my snare. And I will bring him to Babylon in the land of the Chaldeans. Yet he will not see it, though he will die there. All right. And it's a beautiful prophecy. It's one of those prophecies that skeptics don't like. A lot of times uh, an unbeliever will read a Bible verse and say, well, that contradicts itself. I don't like it. You know, God's, you know, stupid. He doesn't know what he's talking about. How is it that he can die in Babylon and never see it? Right. Well, that was the prophetic word, but we know it's fulfilled. He does die in Babylon, but he never sees it because his eyes are put out before he's carried away to Babylon. So this contradictory passage is not contradictory at all. It is detailed to the point of an extreme glory to God who fulfills everything he says he's going to do. That's how prophecy works. And so it's a beautiful thing. All right, Riblah, you see how far north it is. It's north of Damascus. It's, uh, it's involved in some of the fighting right now that's going on in, uh, in Jerusalem. I mean, in uh, Syria. Got the wrong clicker. So uh, fleeing Jerusalem, but he doesn't get far. He gets caught right there near Jericho. And then gets taken up here to Riblah. And that's where the staging area was for the captives going over to Babylon. All right. You know, the aftermath of the fall in the months which follow is pretty grim. And, uh, you know, everything was booty. Everything was plunder. Everything was either a slave or executed or... Um, just horrible things that were happening there. If you want to read it, you can read it in Second Kings uh, chapter 25, verses 8 through 12. Uh, very good and, and parallel to what we're looking at this morning in Jeremiah 39 uh, in verses 8 through 10. Uh, but you understand it's judgment upon a people that God uh, directs and permits that uh, you don't want to be on the losing side of a war. Um, and if you're going to lose a war, then pray to God that it's the American military that's defeating you. 
because the American military does not rape and plunder and sell into slavery the way that almost every other army ever has in the history of the world, certainly the ancient world. Uh, You don't want to be on the losing side of a war. All right, let's look at Jeremiah's rescue because Nebuzaradan is specifically tasked with the safeguarding of Jeremiah. Even if you're in the worst place imaginable, even if you're in a city about to be destroyed, God can still rescue you. And he's got plans for that. And this is the case here. So uh, verses 11 through 18 in this chapter, slightly different details in the next chapter. And so next week we'll reconcile those and we'll show uh, what, what is the best, there's multiple ways to reconcile, but what is the best reconciliation between chapter 39 and chapter 40. But for today, verses 11 through 18, second half of this chapter. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave orders about Jeremiah through Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, saying, take him and look after him and do nothing harmful to him, but rather deal with him just as he tells you. That's huge. So Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, sent word along with, and we have these names repeated, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the Rabsaris, and Nergal-Sharizer, the Rabmag, and all the leading officers of the king of Babylon. They even sent and took Jeremiah out of the court of the guardhouse, remember that place? The court of the guardhouse, and entrusted him to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, to take him home. So he stayed among the people. All right, so he's going to be brought out of that custody, and he's going to be placed in a place of protection. Gedaliah will be the governor that's left behind to supervise the, the rabble, to supervise the, the vagrants that are left in the land. And uh, then there's a promise, and Jeremiah gets to prophecy, uh, prophesy, and he gets to uh, rescue Ebed-Melech while he's at it in verses 15 through 18. The word of the Lord had come to Jeremiah while he was confined in the court of the guardhouse, saying, go and speak to Ebed-Melech. Remember him? He was the guy that rescued Jeremiah, right? Just last week. Um, I'm about to uh, bring my words on this city for disaster, not for prosperity, and they will take place before you on that day. Okay? Remember, it's really, it's, it's, it's twofold. It's one way or the other. It's either prosperity or, or disaster, right? It's either ascendancy or descendancy. And we've been learning this in Proverbs. We've been learning what do believers do when the wicked are on the ascendancy. And we have to learn to be circumspect. We have to be quiet. We have to lay low. But when righteousness is on the ascendancy, we can rejoice. And we have the freedom then to speak the truth and communicate the Word of God. And and it really appears to be that dichotomy of, of one or the other. Of one or the other. And we see it here in this passage also. I'm bringing my words on this city for disaster and not for prosperity. And it's curious to me how... Uh, we can have a presidential election and half the country thinks it's a disaster and half the country thinks it's prosperity. Well, lo and behold, Scripture is unveiled before our eyes, isn't it? And so we want to see it's one or the other. What does God think it is? Okay, Let's line up with his viewpoint. Let's make sure that we're, uh, we have the Jeremiah and Ebed-Melech perspective and we don't have the Zedekiah perspective. And so uh, this is what's about to happen. But verse 17, I will deliver you on that day, declares the Lord. You will not be given into the hand of the men 
whom you dread. I will certainly rescue you, and you will not fall by the sword, but you will have your own life as booty because you have trusted in me, declares the Lord. All right? So Jeremiah is not the only believer getting rescued here. Uh, Abed-Melech, the, the Ethiopian eunuch, he's, he's also going to be rescued here as well. And I find that to be a neat pattern. One Jew, one Gentile. Okay? Kind of a neat pattern, isn't it? All right. Details on this as well. You know, God is able to rescue. He does know. He can, he can get us from our, our struggles too. Nebuchadnezzar commanded Nebuzaradan to prevent every harm. Prevent every harm. Okay? I don't want a hair on his head to be, you know, uh, not a scratch. Okay? Every harm. To treat him with the utmost care. And to obey. Wow. You know, I mean, I used to be an MP. I had a lot of prisoners in custody, and I know what it means to take somebody in custody. And I, and I know what it means when, when your supervisors say, you know, we're going to be extra careful here. We wouldn't be abusive anyway, but we would be extra careful in certain cases. And, uh, and uh, but I've never been told to, once I take somebody in custody, to obey everything he tells me to do. <laughs> right? Because you might imagine that an inmate in custody might tell you something kind of dangerous or wrong or, or uh, you know, a bad idea. But Nebuzaradan is being placed under Jeremiah's sovereignty. And to me, that's a, that's a remarkable observation here. Uh, every command Jeremiah ever is to give here for his well-being, we might split hairs on that, but um, deal with him just as he tells you. So deal with him just as he tells you. If the command has something to do with Jeremiah, do what he tells you to do. And that appears to be the scope of the, uh, of the obedience there. To obey every command Jeremiah gives for his own well-being. So this is, this is a, a tremendous promise. And this is, uh, I think, an illustration for any kind of rescue, any kind of deliverance. All right. I mean, thinking of our own salvation and deliverance from the lake of fire. Is it, is it just barely you know, getting us out of hell and letting us go to heaven? Or is there more to it than that? Are there other protections offered for the one who has been so saved? Are there, are there other benefits? Are there things that accompany salvation? See, as we learn when we study the, the position possessions and we study the positional truth blessings of being in Christ. Are there particular orders that are then assigned to angels, guardian angels, or to the Lord Himself or to the Holy Spirit as it relates to believers that are now rescued from the domain of darkness? What provision is made for us? for our protection, for our guidance, for our well-being. Clearly, I think the, the Bible declares quite a bit. And, uh, and it's being illustrated here in, in, uh, in this. Nebuzaradan, another interesting letter uh, concept here. He disseminated his orders. He went through the political structure that was there in place already. He disseminated his orders through the command structure of the army. Under... Nebuchadnezzar, the Nurgle Sherezer, and, and they successfully secured Jeremiah. Now think about that. He worked with those other men. Okay? And to me, that's a, that's a useful observation as well related to competing interests and uh, the dumb idea that is to not cooperate with other people in the area. All right? 
If you think about, um, because they had their orders, right? They had their orders. They were busy administering justice and they were overseeing the, the plunder and they were administering different things. They were handling things on, on a military level, on a judicial level. It, it kind of seems like Nebuzaradan, his mission is more personal and more, more uh, you know, on his own. But he didn't take it on his own and he didn't pursue it on his own. If you think about that, you ever been in a workplace where um, you've got a team doing something and then somebody else gets assigned something else and he fails to tell everybody else what he's doing? Okay? And he's not wrong for what he's doing. But he goes off and starts engaging what he's doing and whatever, whatever, and making everybody mad. Like, what are you doing here? And what are you doing? And what's going on? And, oh, well, you know, boss told me to do this. Well, you could have told me, <laughs> you know. Yeah, the boss told you to do this. Great. And so I see the coordination here. And the fact is, if everybody's serving the Lord, then we're not at odds with one another. If, if, if Jesus Christ gives you an assignment, I want to know what it is too, so I can be praying for you. I can be supporting it. We all want to be supporting it. And if it happens to be a slightly different mission than what the rest of us are doing, that's fine. We're not against you. We just want to know about it so we can support it, we can help it, we can pray about it. Maybe we can coordinate things. Anyway, I just see a remarkable pattern here related to um, communication. Related to uh, not, not storming off and, and doing your own thing. As, as we read these verses here, right? Nebuchadnezzar said to Nebuchadnezzar, you know, go get Jeremiah, rescue him. And we, and we could read verse 13 in an in alternate universe where Nebuchadnezzar just storms on off by himself and doesn't tell anybody what he's doing or why. Barge, barges on in there, starts bossing people around. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he sends word. And he coordinates. See, along with Nebuchadnezzar, the Rabsuris, and Nergal Sarezer, the Rab Mag, and all the leading officials of the king of Babylon. Yes, he has an independent work assignment, but he makes sure that the entire command staff is fully briefed with what he's doing. And I think that's important. In, uh, in leadership, it's important in, uh, in, in a church, in a family, in a workplace. In fact, I'm struggling to think right now, what, what might be an organizational structure that would be harmed by something like this? You know, when, when is... When is you know, keeping people in the dark and, and not telling them anything. When is that a conductive to productivity? It doesn't seem to happen very often. All right. So what happens here is he's brought, he's secured. He's secured the, the suspect or the subject. You've, you've, you've identified your, your target. You've secured them. You brought them out of where you expected to find them. And then, uh, and then where do you put them? Where do you secure them? Okay. You're not taking them from one jail cell to another jail cell. You're taking them from a jail cell and placing them here in a protective custody sense because this whole city is about to come crashing down, I believe, with the exception of Gedaliah's house. <laughs> All right. It's going, to be his, it's going to be his base of operations to supervise the, the rest of the vagrants that are left there. And so um, they, he sent and took Jeremiah out of the court of the guardhouse and entrusted him, entrusted him to Gedaliah. And so we have the personal interest communicated there in being entrusted. <coughs> All right. And uh, it's not going to last long, by the way. I get a lie. I get assassinated here shortly. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting. If, if, you're, if you've ever 
been in a conquered city, okay, which a lot of people aren't. But um, but I have. I, I was in Kuwait City in, in 1990, and and the. Uh, when you're in a conquered city and, and you're under martial law and, and you have expectations and rules and curfew, sun goes down, you stay home, right? And nobody on the streets when the sun goes down or we're, you know, we're going to shoot first and ask questions later. That's, that's expected, right? And then you have different um, expectations with respect to, all right, this block has now been secure and this block is now being given to uh, our interpreters. We had some very trust, uh, trustworthy, reliable, Arabic-speaking Kuwaiti interpreters. And they were so happy to have us there because they wanted Iraq out of Kuwait and they wanted uh, in their country back. And so they were very helpful and cooperative, translated for us. And so block by block by block, we had these areas that we were given over. And then as we got to know them better, we started giving guns to some of them. You talk about walking by faith, <laughs> you know, because it's hard to tell the difference between a Kuwaiti and an Iraqi. And, and you know, we were hoping we're giving guns to the, the good guys and things of that nature. So when I, when I see the house of Gedaliah here and I see uh, Jeremiah being given refuge, being given uh, uh, a place of, of escape there, and then when I see the the uh, struggles that happen afterwards, what happens in an occupation when the uh, main army moves out and then some of the guerrillas start creeping back in, okay? And that's going to happen in some upcoming chapters. Guerrillas are going to start creeping, not human guerrilla, you know, guerrilla warfare. Um, insurgents, insurgents are going to start creeping in and they're not going to like the safe zones that were set up and they're not going to like get a lie. They'll view him as a collaborator. They'll view him as, 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 as a problem. And they murder him. They assassinate him. Okay? And um, so we're going to see some of that chaos that, that then follows. Ultimately, the, the, the Jews that were blessed in this time were the Jews that were taken away ahead of time. Daniel and Ezekiel and uh, King Jehoiachin. And those that were taken away ahead of time, that was the preserved remnant. This crowd that's here on this day they're the ones receiving the wrath of God. They're receiving the judgment at this time. So keep that in mind. You know, here we are in the church age. Here we are considering the imminency of the, of the rapture. And, and what's going to happen to the rapture? God's taken us to heaven. And what happens to those that are left behind? Something far worse than what happened in Jerusalem on this day, I tell you. The entire world is going to be given over to Antichrist. And uh, hell itself will be emptied. And all the demons are going to, 200 million demons flooding this place. Okay? So these principles, I think this pattern of, of taking the remnant to Babylon before the fall of Jerusalem is, is, is interesting. Uh, foreshadowing other things that, that happen, such as the rapture of the church. Along with Jeremiah's rescue, the Lord promised a rescue for Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian. And uh, you see, God didn't abandon all the Gentiles in the Old Testament. An Old Testament Gentile can get saved. Uriah the Hittite. I mean, there's countless. Nebuchadnezzar gets saved. Countless Gentiles get saved. Or many Gentiles get saved in the Old Testament. You can count them, right? There are a number of believing Gentiles in the Old Testament. And here's Ebed-Melech being rescued alongside of uh, Jeremiah in this regard. <coughs> All right. I think 
we probably ought to stop there. Um, this, I was going to talk about some other things and also kind of introduce chapter 40, but it's communion study, so uh, communion Sunday. So um, next week we'll have more time, and next week we'll uh, get into chapter 40. And <coughs> what happens when somebody who is marked for safety uh, and then somebody else didn't get the memo? And what happens if somebody gets rearrested who is already arrested and set free? And then he gets rearrested and he gets hauled up to Ribla and, uh, and, and he's like, well, wait a minute, this is a mistake. I was given my parole. Okay? I think that's the best way to reconcile the, the second uh, capture of Jeremiah that's uh, spoken of here in, in chapter 40. So we'll, we'll discuss that next week as well. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your truth. We thank you for uh, the faithfulness of your word. And Father... Uh, Thank you for uh, providing a voice to get through last hour and this hour alike. Father, uh, anytime you want to send your son to rapture us to heaven, it'd be fine. And cedar season's a good time of year, Father, to take us even now. But um, in the meantime, Father, uh, I thank you for uh, these treasures in earthen vessels that we learn the surpassing value of the grace that is of you and not ourselves. I thank you, Father, for uh, the uh, promises that even when the most unimaginable judgment is, is crashing down around us, that you do know how to rescue your children. And you are capable of doing so. You can rescue Noah from the flood. You can rescue Daniel from the lion's den. You can rescue Jeremiah from the fall of Jerusalem. And you can rescue us, Father, in whatever judgment is coming upon our nation. And uh, these things are great encouragements as well. So, Father, I pray that uh, we would continue in these studies and continue to be strengthened and encouraged, even in, uh, even in destruction wrath passages that are otherwise rather gloomy. Father, uh, thank you for being so faithful. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.